about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. John chapter 15 verses 18 to 27. Please join with me. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember that I told you A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If you had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Well, friends, it's great to be with you this evening as we continue through God's Word. This is a passage that perhaps doesn't come to the forefront of your mind when you think of things to preach on in lockdown, in the midst of the swelling anxieties of our city. But I still think it is a very timely word to us in the wider context of where we're up to in Western history and with the Christian faith. And it is a very good passage to have in the week before the census happens. Now, if you didn't know, and if you live in the vicinity, the inner city suburbs of Sydney are some of the least religious in the entire city. In fact, Erskineville was named in the last census as the most ungodly suburb going around, with 55% of people saying they had no religion at all. And in fact, last night in the Newtown Facebook group, there was a bit of a G-up where people were talking about how to make sure we are known for our ungodly status now and forever, and really to make a mark in this year's census. We are in a time of declining trust in the gospel, of declining uh, attendance and belonging to different churches. Stephen McAlpine, in his provocatively titled book, Being the Bad Guys, says that increasingly Christianity is viewed as the bad guy. Christianity is no longer an option, it's a problem. The seat of the cultural table that we assumed was ours for keeps is increasingly being given to others. We're on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of so many issues and conversations. 
Things have changed. It's not just that the census numbers are down. Faith's place, faith in Jesus Christ's place in society is being pushed to the side. It's not like there's a full-on persecution happening, but all of a sudden it's just a little bit more difficult to mention that you go to a church. There are too many misconceptions that rise in people's mind for it to be something we freely say. There's an increasing chance that in your workplace, you won't get everything you need from your work if people know. It's just more of a faux pas than it used to be. It just doesn't quite sit as well. There's greater discomfort in being and knowing Jesus these days. This passage today from the Lord Jesus is a passage for the apostles to prepare themselves not just for discomfort, that's what we're facing, but for their untimely deaths at the hands of the world. It is preparing them for the opposition that they will face on the way to the Father, on their way out doing Jesus' work on his mission. And it is a word that also prepares us for whatever is happening in our culture and whatever might happen next. So let's listen to it, knowing that we need that this week and in whatever might come. And the first thing I think we get from this passage, in the wider context of John, is that what we're talking about today is not an an us and them thing. When we hear these words from Jesus, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, and then that is why the world hates you, we, we start to think, well, What is Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about a natural animosity between us and the world, a cultural battle preparing us for warfare? But that's not really how Jesus and the world works in the Gospel of John. In John 3, 16 to 18, we read the famous words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus comes into the world as Savior, out of love from the Father. That's God's relationship to his world, estranged though it may be from him. And yet, Jesus goes on straight after this. This is the verdict, he says. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. You see, Jesus comes into the world out of love to save the world, not to condemn the world, not just to battle with the world. And yet his very presence is an exposing, piercing, white light that the dark deeds of humanity cannot bear. While Jesus moves toward the world in love for salvation's sake, his mere presence stirs up its hatred. So what we have here is not an us and them thing, not Jesus preparing us for cultural battles, But Jesus pointing out the dynamic between himself and his world. 
Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. All this language in the build-up to this passage, Jesus has talked about us being in him and and he being in us, of, of him and the Father making their home in us, of us being vitally connected to him. If we are vitally connected to this light who exposes darkness, who who dwells up the hatred of the world, then we are to expect the same response to the Christ who lives in us. Jesus says it's because we've been chosen out from the world, because we've been brought out from the darkness into his own light, that we will experience discomfort and opposition and even hatred. It is not an us and them thing, but maybe it's worth asking, friend, whether today it could be said that the world loves you as its own. That really you run from any discomfort. That really you would rather blur the lines between what the world is and what you have in Jesus. Maybe our danger is not dividing the world between us and them, but becoming one with them rather than walking in the exposing light of Christ. It's not an us and them thing. But we are called to live separately. But where the discomfort really comes from, Jesus is clear. He says that he is the real problem. Jesus is the real problem. All through this text you see it. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He goes on and he says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, then they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. The real problem, Jesus says, is not you, it's me. It's the world's opposition to who I am. As God's Messiah. Now this is a bit counter, I think, to the narrative we often tell ourselves about our relationship with the world. I see this quote all the time from Gandhi. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Which is very true, isn't it? There are many things we could point to this evening and say that it's our unlikeness to Christ that has brought about the world's hatred of us of our own evil, our own abuse, our own bullying. Very true. But this evening, Jesus tells us another story that's also true. That the enmity that the world has toward those of faith is actually a hatred directed primarily and firstly toward Him. He is the real problem. He is the one opposed. He is the piercing light that the world cannot bear. Jesus goes on, If if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that I I have, they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. 
If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they'd not be guilty of sin. But as it is, they've seen. And yet they've hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus speaks of coming into the world and, and making the world guilty of sin. He says, if I hadn't come and, and shown them these miracles and they hadn't seen them, then they wouldn't be guilty of sin. What is he talking about here? Well, he, the blinding light, the word from the Father, the Lord's Messiah, is the final revelation of God's testimony of himself. And to see him and yet reject him, to hate him, is to become guilty of the ultimate rejection of God and His purposes. Jesus' very presence in the world, stirring up the hatred of the world, brings about the guilt of the world. But even this, Jesus says, is to fulfill what is written in the law, which is a strange word to use, law, because the words come from the Psalms. Multiple places in the Psalms where David cries out to God and talks about these enemies who, who hate him without reason. Like in Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I, I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. And at the end, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Words of God's Messiah drowning amongst a, a tide of enemies beyond number with a blind, vitriolic hatred that has no rhyme or reason. This is just what happens to God's Messiah. In Psalm 2, where the whole book of Psalms is kind of set up, the nations rally together against God and His Messiah in utter futility and in utter foolishness. This is how the world treats God's Messiah. This is the beating heart of sinful humanity. To hate the Son and to turn in hatred on the Father. When we suffer discomfort, persecution, and difficulty at the world's hands... Jesus is saying, why are you surprised? I live in you. And I'm the problem. The world hates me without reason. Because that is the heart of sin. And there's a strange comfort, I think, in this for us. That in the end, the animosity that we face from the world at times is not actually about us. It's actually about him. It's actually all about Him. All of God's purposes are about Him. About Him being loved and Him being hated. And we are being swept up into His trouble, into His story. And so we need not be disoriented or fearful when such times come. But in the midst of this, Jesus says something else very important. And he's very clear that we all need, both us and the world, the Spirit's testimony. He goes on to say, When the Advocate comes, 
whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. What is the Father to do when the world turns in hatred upon his Son and rejects him and casts him out and crucifies him? Well, he raises him to life and then he sends another into the world with a mission. He sends the Spirit of truth from the hand of Christ himself to testify, to tell the truth about Jesus, to, to as, as Andrew's already beautifully said, to prosecute a case against the world, that they have rejected God's very Messiah, that they have rejected the life and salvation and light of God himself. The Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to convince the world of its rejection and to call it home. And first of all, Jesus says, the Spirit will testify to the disciples. He will testify about me. And he's talking to the apostles at this point because they will need in their hearts a strong vision of the person of Christ. They will need to be sure of who he is in a world that doesn't like him. You see, in the midst of a post-Christian culture where faith is on the decline, where things are less comfortable, what we don't just need is better nuance, tactics and answers. What we don't just need is uh, to work out how to do our presence well. What we need is the persuasive presence of God's Spirit testifying in our hearts of the glory, the gentleness, the comfort, the goodness, the power, the salvation that is only found in Christ. What our hearts need is that strong advocate to convince us of the utter worth of Christ. That's what you need this evening if you're feeling this today. And you might be thinking, well, maybe I just need to deconstruct my faith a bit. Maybe I just need to, to, to start again. Holy Spirit just wants to give you Jesus again tonight. To convince you of his beauty and his worth, of his death and his resurrection. To convince you that he is God's Messiah. But you, you notice that it doesn't end there. That the Spirit doesn't just testify to the apostles to the disciples, he also says, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. That's what the apostolic task is, to have been with Jesus through the course of his ministry, to have watched him die, seen the miracles, seen him raised from the dead, and to testify, to witness to what they'd seen. That's what it means to be an apostle, to give testimony to Christ. They had to go out into the world in the power of the Spirit to complete the mission of the Father, convicting the world of its sin and, and summoning it back to Christ. And the apostolic work is done, but the Holy Spirit's mission isn't. The Father has still sent him in this age into the world to testify to his Son through his people. Friends, I know right now it is very easy to be really distracted by the, the crazy at the moment. 
all around us in our city and in our media and the devastating things happening in our world. But we live in the age where the Father has sent His Spirit into the world to testify to His Son. And there will not be another age for it. And the biggest thing happening this week in our city is Him convincing it of its sin and of the utter worth of Jesus Christ. And our city needs you to testify in the power of God's Spirit in whatever small or seemingly insignificant way that might happen for you this week. You know, it happened last night in the high jump, which is the least likely place I expected. Here is uh, um, Nicole McDermott. Uh, Do you see a tats on her hands for his glory and see the cross? Beautiful Christian woman. Do you see her interview? Incredible. Uh, wanting to see stadiums full of people turning back to Jesus, testifying to God's love in her life. Just an incredible thing to hear from an Australian sportswoman uh, on such a public stage, from the Holy Spirit, testifying, witnessing to the worth of Jesus. You know, you might not get a silver medal tomorrow, and you may not get uh, a microphone in front of you, but someone might ask you what you did on Sunday to get through. And you could say, well, you know, the thing getting me through is this person I've met named Jesus. Or someone might be struggling and you might be, be able to say to them, you know, the only thing that keeps me steady right now is that I know that Jesus is Lord. Or they might be unsure of who they are and fearful. And they know, well, I know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You know, this week as I've been kind of countering my own anxiety and, and feeling the weight of anxiety in our city around a whole bunch of different issues, I've been reminding myself that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That's okay for my body to die. It's absolutely fine. Because there is testimony that Jesus is the Messiah who raises people from the grave. There are many people in our city who need that right now. And maybe all they need is to hear that you went to church today online. Or to hear that you read the Bible this morning. Or to hear that you pray for them. Or to hear one sweet word about what you find remarkable about Jesus. Friend, all these little things are part of the Spirit's work of testimony, testifying. And in the discomfort of our age, it is so easily forgotten that this is what the Spirit is doing. But the final thing Jesus wants to tell us as we kind of wrap this up this evening is that really all of this is preparation. All of this is by by way of kind of training. Jesus wants us to remember all this when the discomfort comes. Jesus doesn't always in the gospel say, hey, remember this. You've really got to remember this one. But he does today. What does he say? I have told you this so that you will not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Jesus is preparing us for discomfort 
That when it comes upon us, we won't be shocked. The, the phrase he uses is, you will not fall away. But the, the word behind that, it's, it's more complicated. It could mean just being really shocked and surprised. Of kind of having something happen that leads you to lose your courage and your nerve. You know, Jesus knows what we're made of. He knows what the apostles are made of. He knows that we're not made of much. That the difficult things that befall us will take our courage from us. They will shock us. And he says, when that happens, remember, remember, I'm the problem, not you. It's about me. And you live in the age of the Spirit when the the world needs to hear nonetheless. Remember, if the world hates you, it hated me first. And a servant is not above their master. Jesus says the apostles will be thrown out of the synagogue. That is, to to lose their place in the the center of their culture, the center of their ethnic identity, to lose their place within their Jewish nation. You know, we might get thrown out of Facebook or canceled or, or spoken down of on all the media outlets. We might be considered pariahs and bad guys for things we consider just true. We might be thrown out or not advanced in jobs, we might be considered less of, loved less, given less, and have less. But Jesus says, remember when that happens. If they hate you, it's because they hate me. Jesus says even they'll be killed as an act of worship. And many people in our days consider Christians to be in the moral wrong to oppose faith as a good outcome in the name of a good God. But when these things happen, Jesus wants us to remember. This is all because of Him. This is all about Him. This is because of the world's rejection of Him and because of its desperate need of Him. Because Jesus was the one who was the word of God, the pure light of God. And yet he was rejected and hated and tortured and killed as an act of worship to God. That we, when we encounter the hatred of the world, might not ultimately die, but live. That we might be confident that the one who raised Jesus from the grave will ensure that neither death nor life nor anything in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So friend, when you feel uncomfortable, remember, it's about Him, not you. And He needs you in the power of His Spirit to testify that He is the salvation of the world. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.